Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. You haven't started broadcasting, but at least you got your fix. Yeah, I did. Yes, I got. <laughs> I started now, so we uh, are live. All right. Yeah. Happy July 4th. Happy Independence Day, everybody. Welcome yeah. to A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. And I am George. Happy July 4th, episode 35. How are you today, George? Is it episode 35? Wow. Yes, it okay. is. Yep. Good for us. Yep. <laughs> so. We've got a lot. I'm of doing good. 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 Yeah. It is a, uh, it's 2019. It is a Thursday, this uh, this Independence Day. So we've got a nice day off right in the middle of the week and with work days on either side, at least for me. George, I'm not sure if it's yeah, that way no, for you. Me too. Yeah. My yeah. Uh, colleagues in Europe were giving me a hard time about working on Friday, but I was like, <laughs> you know, most everybody takes off, so it's going to be a slow day for me, you know? It, it so. will be a slow day. For, for me, we're, we're closing the month of June, so there's not much of a break to be had. It wasn't oh, as Lord. much of an option as some other environments, but you know, you know, it's part of the job, so. Yeah. Anyways, a couple housekeeping items. Uh, check out our website at www.aniceplacetobrew.com. Our social media links. We are on Facebook at Nice Place to Brew and Instagram at A Nice Place to Brew. Um, check us out. Um, our episodes are available via iTunes, Stitcher, uh, so- uh, SoundCloud, and uh, I've got one comment to make about iTunes, which I checked out right okay. before uh, as I was preparing last night for today's episode. Um, our review section is still blank. Shout oh. out to our listeners. Yes, it's still blank. Lazy listeners. Yeah, yeah exactly. Come on. <laughs> Come on. So I implore our listeners, please go on to iTunes, write us a review. It makes a big difference for the show, and we'd really appreciate it. Yeah. But yeah, I found no. I found one possible cause for why our review section may be blank at the moment. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So this is interesting. So I looked up our, um, our Nice Place to Brew page on iTunes, and I saw a little icon on the left-hand side of the screen, and that icon read, Clean Lyrics. Hmm. So I don't know who the judges are or who puts this tag onto certain podcasts across iTunes. I don't know if it's somebody through Apple or somebody who's completely separate. I have no idea. But um, I can't help but think, is there a link between the fact that we've been labeled as clean as to why we don't, don't quite have enough quote-unquote controversy to possibly, <laughs> possibly mandate no, I, more I, review activity? I don't know. So I, <laughs> And I cross-referenced this with a, with a podcast that I listen to regularly. I went to their page, and of course, they've got the icon that says parental advisory because they swear all the time. So, George, here's some food for thought. Do we need to have an episode that just goes completely off the rails that we're dropping four-letter words every other every other word? Is that what we like, need to shake this clean logo? I mean, it's possible, but I feel like that would be a departure from <laughs> what we do. So, I mean, we we've dropped the occasional swear word. We don't know. We don't. It's rare. You know, go out of our way it's to rare. do it, but we don't. You know, avoid it either. So, right. I don't right. Know. Yeah. It, it would be a departure. You're, you're you're right about that. So maybe we can rebrand ourselves as the Extreme Home Brewing Podcast. <laughs> I 
<laughs> How do you like sure, that? Sure, <laughs> why not? Yeah. Good lord. Oh man. Anyways. Somebody- Somebody go and leave a review to make him happy. Anyway. Yes, yes, please do. I'll, I'll drop this subject as soon as we get some review activity. Please do. <laughs> anyway, so on this 4th of July, it is noon my time. Um, yes. It is still technically morning for Jason. So if for your brunch podcast, are you are what are you drinking anything today? I have here in a glass. I have the uh, the beer that I had labeled as uh, the Belgian Triple, which clearly is not. I think we talked about this on the last episode. Um, this brew day did not go as planned. What I have in my hands, I will infer and say that this is a Belgian double. Okay. I'm submitting this for a competition on uh, on Sunday of this weekend. I know my scores are going to not be positive but at the same time i guess a couple of things number one i believe in participation in club competitions um our our brew club the joliet brewers guild it does does a good job of putting out competitions as at the very least for frameworks for what us home brewers can put together and get some valuable critiques on what we're working on i believe in that and i choose to participate even if my product is not you know as I as I originally had created, and that's that's kind of where I'm at with this. Second of all, I'm not quite sure what the proper style is for this uh, for this beer, and I quietly think I may get a piece of feedback that may color that in a little bit for me. So, well, it's basically a triple, just not as heavy on the alcohol, right? Like you were, you missed your missed the mark on your gravity a little bit right quite significantly but if uh, i'll put this up to the camera you, you'll see the color is noticeably off from a belgian triple as well here check it out oh that is a little bit lighter than it should be isn't it? yeah i need to I, I could look up the grain bill and get a better picture of that but belgian triple is supposed to be a lot lighter than that so it's not a belgian triple i i fully acknowledge that but yeah, then the question is- becomes what exactly is it that is a good question. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm prepared to present this as a Belgian double, um, but that may even be incorrect. I'll hmm. I'll leave that one to the judges. Well, the good news for you is, wasn't the competition a sessionable competition? Like they wanted session beers. Yes, the name of the competition is sort of sessionable, so they're leaving it intentionally a little bit open. Okay. So I I think I've got at least some room to possibly get some not so harsh feedback but even so i'm i'm prepared for for what's what's headed my way sure so yeah it's all good yeah me i'm trying to create some keg space here so i'm trying to finish up my uh my saison that i made a little while ago okay Uh, all right i think i've got about gallon and a half left in there and so i'm gonna bottle it up and and then i've got in my fermentation chamber a uh, what is that it's a english mild that i've added licorice root to that i did in a vodka tincture and oh yeah uh, yeah 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 so that's in secondary right now and it should be ready for uh kegging this weekend so i'm getting that ready nice nice yeah I just happen to have four kegs here at the house. When you talk about keg space, I have four kegs here at the house, and all of them are full. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And 
guess how much room I have in my new trusty chest freezer that I just acquired on Sunday. Can you fit four in there? I can. Oh, it, wow. Okay. A, That's it, bigger you, than mine. It's a tight, tight fit, but it can be done. Okay. And once I build the collar for it, I'm going to have enough room for the um, CO2 tank to sit off on the side. Okay. I tell you, I keep getting more excited about this. Like, are you keep Are you keeping your CO2 tank outside of the teaser? So there's two different schools of thought on that, and I've read them both. Okay. I am prepared to go the direction of keeping the CO2 tank inside of the freezer. Okay. I went the other direction. I, you I did. drilled a okay. hole through and read and fed the CO2 line through the collar uh, and, and attached my manifold to the inside of the collar. So what was your rationale for that? What, why did you see that as a better, better option than leaving it in? So one of the annoying parts of uh, the, the CO2 tank um, when I had it inside of my old keyser was that the cold temperature screws up the readings on the regulator. So you'd have the that reg- conden- condensation all over it? Well, that and the regular regulator the, the uh, to show the right readings on it is calibrated for like 70 degrees oh to, to see so, how much how much you have left right to see oh, how much okay. i have left okay, and things right, like right, that right. so when it was inside of my keyser it um it always showed low okay okay yeah and and so it's kind of a kind of a dumb thing but you know it's 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 you want to be able to look at it and and have a reliable reading of how much co2 you have left do i need to replace it before i do this next keg Mm-hmm. You know, and am I going to run out when I have, you know, 30 people coming over for a party and I'm trying to pull <laughs> off the keg, you know, that kind of thing. So good point. Yeah, that, that is a good point. My rationale right now for leaving it in is the chest freezer itself is situated where it has this half step up towards the corner, mm-hmm. which is like a perfect stand for a CO2 tank. And sure. right now, the, the CO2 tank with the regulator is too tall to sit upright in the freezer without the door um, closing on it and preventing the, the door from actually closing. But with the collar, there's going to be plenty of, plenty of room. Sure. So I'm like, th- this, seems, this seems far too, too easy to pass up. Not to mention, I'm and, and I'm, not, I'm not proud of this, but my... Uh, level gauge on my regulator is not working anyways so even if I did do the work to keep the CO2 tank out of the freezer I still wouldn't have an accurate read on how much CO2 I have anyways are you still using that broke ass regulator yes, from- yes. <laughs> you need to listen it does, it does the job spend 50 bucks and get a new one man <laughs> <laughs> listen if it ain't broke well okay all right well, that, can, that can be our, yeah <laughs> listen it still carbonates my kegs okay <laughs> it does i guess yeah all right <laughs> oh man all right so, now, now i'm now i'm embarrassed I'm, i just announced to the announced to our audience how cheap i am <laughs> oh man so but i will say um you know the I understand where you're coming from, and I'll tell you my other motivation is uh, once I stop being cheap and invest in one, I want to get a one or two gallon keg uh, it, that to have inside oh. of it on that half step up. Mm-hmm. So I'm reserving that space for that. 
And so I can do either sodas and, um, and, and like root beer or things or have, uh, pressurized water or sanitized water. I'm not sure what I want to do, but I so uh, want one of those too. I so so, want one of those. I just, I can't get over how damn expensive they are. They truly are, but it's a one-time purchase and I Uh, think I'm going to have to bite the bullet and do it because I really want to do small batch sodas and, and, you know, you can even put meat in there. Um, but if I do that and even if I do sodas, I'm going to need to expand my regulator and, and have two. Um, setting two two settable um pressures, uh, because oh. it's going to have to be a either way it's going to have to be a different pressure than the beer that I have in there. And right now the regulator I have goes into a manifold, so everything that's in there has to be at the same pressure. So God, I'm going to have to. I'm not sure I've ever even line. seen it. I've seen those um, those regulators that split off in multiple directions, but I don't know if I've mm-hmm. seen one that, that allows you to to build different pressure points. The one you have will do that, but you can get so you twist off the um, how much is left in the the uh, the, um, the tank okay. gauge, and you put another dial gauge on in that, and then you twist it on at the end, <laughs> the how much is in the tank gauge, and you can do two, you can expand them, basically. Um, I, so kn- I, I need- never knew that. This, this, is, this is eye-opening to me. Yeah, so, I mean, so that is a non-trivial thing, because then I'm going to have to run another CO2 line. I'm going to have yep. to uh, drill another hole in things, and, and this is all... So, I mean, it, and, and getting those gauges off, they're on there real good. They're, they're on there, um, you know, yeah. basically machined on there and everything. Right. So it's, it's a gigantic pain to get them off, but that yeah. is. They're not designed the to come off. No, and they're not, the, I mean, they're designed to be real tight so they don't leak and everything. So I totally right. get that, but yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I got, I got to read up more on that. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying makes perfect sense. I can kind of visualize it. I just, I'd like to see a see a picture of it. Yeah. So the other, the only downside to that is you is you either need another manifold if you want to go to multiple kegs, or you right. you know run a, a, a line in. You can only go to one keg at that point with your second you know connection. So, but yeah. because I want to be able to do two different pressures, I'll basically have a high pressure and a low pressure. Or pressure A, pressure B, whatever it comes out to. Uh huh. Um, connection going into the into the keyser. Nice. Yeah. That'd be a great project. Yeah. Cool. So. Mm-hmm. So we've got uh, we've got a topic for today's show. We're going to talk about something that we haven't done before. Uh, we're going to do a segment called "Other Breweries Reviewed." This is a takeoff on our other brews reviewed. We're going to expand this a little bit, and that's going to be the topic for today's show. I've got three different uh, breweries to uh, to review. Uh, George, how many do you have, sir? I have. I, I had two. I can probably think of a third one, though, if I, okay. if I put my mind to it. Okay. All right. Well, um, so let's uh, let's dive into this. So, um, do we want to take a second and talk about kind of what our criteria is before we start? I was right about to dive into that, so yes. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Then. Yes, okay. So, um, we talking about other breweries is not a new concept for this show. I mean, it seems to fall in line with our conversations about other brews reviewed 
often because oftentimes the other brews reviewed we um build our experience from actually being in the brewery sitting down having a beer and kind of getting an overall experience from that but in the past our conversation has been mostly limited to the quality of the beer and we're going to go beyond that with today's topic um we've got i've got i built mine on four different pieces of criteria george's might be a little bit different but i think for the most part we're going to paint a a pretty similar picture with um with our picture of these breweries Mm -hmm. so i did mine by four different categories number one is beer quality because let's face it you're coming there to enjoy beer your beer quality product exactly exactly yeah um the second point is the staff is the staff Mm. friendly the staff helpful or do they not paint the place to be what uh what they set out to be third overall environment do you enjoy the the overall setting or is something about it a little bit off-putting and then the fourth one, and I think is going to build some good dialogue for today's episode, is viability. Mm-hmm. And I think viability is going to be a more relevant topic within the next two years in the overall craft beer industry. So, George, did yours were your uh, was your criteria a lot different? No, basically along the same lines. Basically, you know, is the beer good? Uh, do you want to go there? Uh, and, you know, do I see it sticking around in the next, you know, couple years? Um, you know, and, and as part of viability, uh, kind of having a little bit of an outlook towards uh, financial solvency. And, and it's a little bit of a guess. There's some information out there. But basically, you know, even the best businesses, if they, if they are not funded, they are not going to survive. Or they're going to have to, like be bought out or, or what have you. Um, right. So it, that kind of goes along with viability, but I think that it's it's an important part when we're... Because at the end of the day, the a brewery is a business. As much as we want it to be an, you know, an art, art form and an art studio, which it is, um, it's also a business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well said. All right. You want to go... Uh, you want to start us off? Oh uh, no! I, I, you, I'd like you know you what? To, Actually, yeah. you know, I've got, I've got three. That might be easier if I start off. Okay. okay. All right. Well, um, I have a fitting first brewery to review. Uh, being that today is July Fourth, it is Independence Day. I recently got back from a road trip that took me through most of the Southeast. I went through Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and then back the other direction through Tennessee, Kentucky, Indiana and Illinois. So it was a it turned out to be a great trip, a lot of miles covered. I did get to visit a number of breweries, have a couple of flights and have a couple experiences. And j- today July 4th seems very fitting to be reviewing this beer. Or not not this beer, I'm sorry, this brewery. The first brewery I'm going to review is called Service Brewing out of Savannah, Georgia, which was my last destination on my road trip. Savannah, for those of you who don't know, is a resort destination that sits on the Atlantic coastline in uh, in Georgia. It was my first time in Savannah. For anybody who has not gone, I highly, highly recommend it. Savannah is a beautiful city. There's there's so much to offer for, for a visit. Um, the craft beer is excellent. The setting is excellent. E- everything about it. It's, it's really a fantastic place to go. 
Anyways, service brewing, uh, and back to my point about why this is appropriate for uh, for July 4th, because service brewing is veteran-owned and veteran-brewed. So people mm, with military okay. experience came back, you know, was, was done with their tours of duty. Um, whether they're still active military or not, I'm not 100% certain. But nevertheless, they are now running a brewery there in Savannah, which is a which is a great story. And my review of this brewery is largely positive. There's a they, they, this place had a lot of had a lot of good things going on. We visited this brewery on an afternoon on a Saturday, and this was a pretty spacious area of a kind of a warehouse location um, that sat right along the water of Savannah. Um, the inside was pretty spacious. They had several kind of picnic style tables where you could sit at. They had a large um, bar top bar top area where you could also sit. They had games, and I mean overall the place was very was very friendly, uh, very warm. And um, I'll, I'll just go through the the criteria just uh, based on the uh, numbers I went through. Um, I rated everything as a one through five. So I'll, I'll kinda, kind of build my reviews on that. My first point is beer quality. On a scale of one to five, I gave this a three and a half. And um, this place had about 12 or 13 different beer offerings um, there on site. I had two flights between me and my uh, girlfriend, Candelaria. So we got to kind of taste off of each, each glass. Um, and... All the beers, I would say, were good. Um, the ones that were particularly good, um, a double IPA was on tap that I thought stood out. There was another regular IPA and a cup and several different light-bodied beers that were just kind of all right. Um, going down to uh, staff, um, the staff was excellent. The uh, the team that was manning the bar and also the tables, top notch. Very very friendly, very knowledgeable. Um, the overall and and tying this directly with the overall environment, I gave the environment environment a five as well. Um, it was an enjoyable enjoyable place to go. It was like the perfect time to be there too. There was people around, but it was by no means overcrowded. Um, place was clean. It was definitely a place that you felt comfortable sitting down and enjoying the product. And then going down to D viability. Um, I gave this one a little bit of a lower marking, and I'm a little bit sad to say that, but hear me out here. I don't believe this is a brewery that has a great level of distribution, if any. I did not see any packaged beers for sale there. I may be wrong about that point, but I just didn't see anything. Mm. Um, I do feel like breweries of this type are going to be the first ones to be challenged as the market changes over the next two to three years. So and that's a, that's a, let, let's, let's just pause there for a second. So the tap house breweries, ones with no distribution with no, uh, you know, some of them have no intention of distribute, distribute. That's, that's true. That's true. Do we, do you, do we see that as a net negative or is there a place for them? I think there is a place for that, but, I think as the market turns, I think the competition is going to be so stiff for those types of breweries 
that there's just not going to be room for all of the breweries that have opened up in the last five years. Okay. Okay. So is it a net negative? Not really, but it's going to put you in a more difficult category, I believe. Right. Okay, and that's fair. All right. So yeah. you were you were you were on about uh, viability. Yeah, and and that's kind of that's kind of where it ends for me. That was the last point that I was going to illustrate about just where those types of breweries will land as the marketplace changes. Um, whether or not they decide to distribute or not is perfectly fine either way. There, there's you know there's a place for those breweries, but you know there's probably going to prove to be too many breweries over time for that type of taste as as the market taste changes. Sure, that's really my final point on that. It, it, I mean, I feel bad saying saying that because. There is so much good about this uh, this place. It's a great story. It's a great place to be. I just I see breweries like that, and I and I can't help but think the market's going to be uh, tough to these the, to these places soon. So, what if anything do you think they could do to sway you sway that uh, viability marker a little bit? Because that seems to be the only part where you're kind of giving them a little bit of a, 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 a little bit of a dig there. Um, what what do you think they could do to kind of change that? I would say, while the market is still hot, do what you can to see what you can carve out as far as distribution. Mm-hmm. And if you can if you can establish a um, if you can establish some type of market demand outside of the immediate Savannah area, I think it would go a long way. Okay. So basically just turn a local into more of a regional kind of presence? At least attempt to, to grow to that. Yeah. Okay. That makes I sense. Mean, I, I mean, regional is a strong word because, you know, uh, Sweetwater, which is Atlanta's largest craft brewery, can be considered um, regional. Terrible? because. I don't think they're terrible. Oh, we can oh. talk about those later later on in the episode. But yeah. but anyways, um, <laughs> but um, just because they don't have a presence in like let's say the West Coast, you know, they do fit into the regional category. But you know, they're a lo- they're a large brewery too. They I mean they have a big staple in the overall Georgia market. It's true. Um, there's a big there's a big difference between cert, like this in this example service brewing and and uh, and Sweetwater. Now, does service brewing need to have aspirations to be Sweetwater? I don't think so. But at the same time, to do things that that model is doing, I think will elevate you to a certain degree and probably protect your presence over in the overall Georgia market more okay. so than just staying exclusively to where you're at in savannah yeah that makes sense so yeah all right so obviously we have differing opinions on Sweetwater, but um (laughs) oh i've never had a Sweetwater beer that i enjoyed i tell you my opinion of Sweetwater changed throughout this trip that i just that i just went on really i'll tell i'll just i'll tell this story real quick i don't want to monopolize today's episode but i do i do think the story is worth worth telling so we did spend a day at the beach at uh, Tibby Beach, which is about 25 minutes east of, of Savannah. It's um, it's a really nice nice beach area. 
Um, it just happened to be on a day where it was upwards of 100 degrees and just sweltering hot. I mean, just crazy hot. We got done at the beach. We went to a restaurant that was nearby. Um, the restaurant had no beers on tap. Everything was in bottles. And I just needed a beer that was going to be uh, refreshing considering the heat that um, that we were experiencing that day and the fact that we had an umbrella over us that didn't give full coverage. Ugh. So the there worst. was little relief <laughs> from the heat. But anyways, there was a sweet water bottle that they had available that was their um, – it was a pineapple-flavored IPA. It was between 5 and 6%, just with a hint of pineapple, and it was the absolute perfect beer for this sweltering hot day. It was – it gave a sense of relief from the heat. It was cooling, and it, it was just perfect. And, yeah, I, I mean, y- you had the perfect setting to, to serve that beer. I just happened to be there for it, and congratulations, Sweetwater. You're getting a, getting <laughs> a kudos here on A Nice Place to Brew. All right. All right. All right. Fair enough. So – yeah. All right, I'm done. Okay, George, cool. your first right. one. My first one, a little bit of a gimme, but I feel like we, I would do us a disservice as a nice place to brew if I didn't bring them up. It is uh, Hardywood Craft Brewing down in Hardywood <laughs> Park, um, down in Richmond, Virginia. Okay. Um, they have been a, they they were established in 2011, so they've been around for eight years already. And they, uh, you know, when we start talking about different things, the, the, the thing that really stands out the most is their actual product, the beers and what they, uh, you know, what they have to offer. Hardywood has done a really good job of having staple all year round and staple seasonals that people gravitate towards, and they've built up market demand around that. But they also do experimental um, brewing in their different locations. So they've got locations in Richmond, in Charlottesville, and I believe one other in, uh, what, oh, no, two in Richmond. Sorry, two in Richmond and one in Charlottesville. So and, let me see. Yeah, so, I, I, know this is, I know this has come up before. Do mm-hmm. they actually brew at that location in Charlottesville? They do, but not okay. to the extent that they do in Hardywood. It's more like okay. Uh, okay. pilot and, and local kind of things. Got so, it. Okay. um, they, so good. It, I think, you know, when it speaks towards the viability of a brewery, you got to have, um, you know, a good set of staple beers and seasonals. Um, but you also have to be willing to experiment and try different things and evolve along with that. Uh, I think a lot of breweries get stuck in one or the other of those modes. Like they only sure. make the staple beers or they only experiment. And both of those things can be detrimental in the long run, in my opinion. Um, yeah. but these guys have taken the, the, you know, a good hard look at that and, and, you know, have successfully been able to balance both. Um, the other thing that they've done is kind of latched on to the barrel aging. Thing of uh, you know that is very popular right now, and I think probably will be for a while. And a lot of their seasonal and limited release beers are come from their barrel age and reserve areas that that people really like. It's worth saying too that if you visit Hardywood, the place is wall to wall barrels. Yeah, so absolutely. they have not shied away from barrel aging by any stretch. So. 
on that, you know, when we start talking about like distribution uh, as part of that, is they have very wide distribution in the area. They are very much of a regional brewery uh, all over Virginia and into Maryland and North Carolina, Ohio region. You will be able to find Hardywood at different places. Obviously, the closer you get to, you know, Richmond to their main brewery, uh, the more you're going to be able to find it. But they do have distribution out there. Mm-hmm. And they are, uh, you know, well received by, you know, a good number of people. Um, if you start talking about their personnel, you know, uh, they're busy, but they are willing to talk to you about the beers. So they, you never get a sense of you're, you're putting them off uh, you know, or anything like that. Um, but it's not quite as uh, personable as as they necessarily could be. But again, that comes down to how busy the tap room tends to be when you're there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, talked about the beer. Talked about the personnel. What? What? What's the third one I'm missing? Uh, you want to talk about environment? Environment. Yes. You know, it, and like Jason said, it's a it is a brewer's brewery. Like oh, you walk in sure. there. And it is wall to wall barrels, and it is, uh, you know, this it's it's a lot of an atmosphere that you understand that this is primarily a brewery. They they're not trying to be anything else. Uh, that said, they do have you know family entertainment things at their brewery. They do have cons- uh, you know bands that come there, and they do have an event space that they that they work with so again it's kind of that balance thing that we talked about before it's not overwhelmingly just a brewer's brewery yeah um so i I give them you know good marks there so total viability uh from what i understand of their financial solvency from their distribution from their uh you know expansion into different areas um i see them being one of the ones that will uh will will make it into the future um whether or not they're going to be snapped up by imbev or 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 miller cores or anything like that remains to be seen um but i don't think that it's hardy woods necessarily their um intention to do that i could see them kind of going more the realm of a sam adams and turning into a large craft brewery uh instead I don't feel that their viability is dependent on an acquisition like this. I, I don't think, either. That's what yeah, I'm saying. Like, I think that yeah. they could make it on their own. I don't. I see, agree. You know, I completely and, agree. And I've got, never, I mean, they, they've built a they built a, a loyal following in Virginia and the surrounding area, and that's and that that's what sets breweries apart in the crowded market that there is today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hardywood has carved themselves out very nicely for good reason. They've got an excellent product, and people keep coming back for it. That's that's to me what viability is most about. Absolutely, yeah. And 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 like I said, I, and I've never gotten the vibe off of them because I've talked with a few of the principals over at Hardywood, and I've never got the vibe oh. off of them that it's about money. Yeah. You know, um, so, you know, in, in my mind and in my mantra when I'm talking about business stuff is the worst way to make money is to try to make money. <laughs> and I think that I like know, that. <laughs> I think they understand that. And it's not a they're, they're trying to make the best product have that they can have the environment that will be sustainable. And I think that it's uh, I, I think that they, they, they are 
viable into the future. The worst way to make money is to try to make money. Yeah, as a finance that's guy, fan- can you tell me any part of that that that's wrong? <laughs> I, I don't disagree at all. Just, on, honestly, I, I think that's a profound statement, and that's and that's hitting me on multiple levels. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Yeah. I, I'm going to be pondering that for a while. Well, okay. Very well said. Very well said. So. Well, Hardywood is actually a perfect segue to my okay. second brewery. Um, to tee this up, I visited this brewery on the first part of my road trip, and I thought about Hardywood almost the entire time I was at this place. George, I'm pr- I know you're familiar with this brewery. I'm not. I believe that you've been here too. I'm talking okay. about another, none other than Against the Grain Brewery and Smokehouse out of Louisville, Kentucky. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I, I did stop there. Yes. This place to me has a lot in common with um, with Hardywood. Um, from the, I mean, from the number one, they've they've got a very respectable product. They do have have a presence, and I'll talk about that more later on. Um, the environment, and I didn't notice. It. I've been to this brewery one other time prior to this. The environment really struck me as I just I felt like I was at a place like Hardywood, if not right there at at Hardywood within within the walls. Um, so anyways, uh, to, to color this in a little bit, Against the Grain Brewery and Smokehouse is located in Louisville, Kentucky, right in the downtown area. It is conveniently located in the same building as a minor league baseball stadium. Yeah. It's, it, <laughs> it's, 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 it's very, it's, I'm, I would love to know the story about how they chose that space. Um, but regardless, it's right in the middle of downtown. It's near all the major highways. It's hard. It's hard to argue that this is a fantastic location for um, or for this brewing operation. Um, I'll go. I'll go right into it. So you so you walk in. Um, they do serve food on site. They also have packaged beer that's that's available in mostly bombers, and uh, you have a crowd from the local downtown Louisville area as well as from the minor league baseball stadium. I'm sure that had. Um, I'm sure that drove part of the decision to lease that space because there's regular foot traffic for the regular baseball games throughout the summer. Totally get that. Oh, yeah. And um, I'm interested to talk about the viability piece of that, but I'll, I'll go through the other par- uh, parts first. Uh, first one is beer quality. On a scale of one to one to five, I give this a four and a half. Oh, that's this, good. The, oh, honestly, I... I, I I think very highly of the product that Against the Grain makes. Um, the standout beer to me, and I've, I've drank this beer on multiple occasions, is a porter that they make called 35K. They have a barrel-aged version of this called 70K, which I walked away with two bombers worth. I still have not tasted this, but I know that's a, that's a sought-after barrel-aged beer, so I look forward to, uh, to enjoying this one. Um... Go down to staff. I'm a well. Hell, did I just lose my microphone? Nope. No, no. I'm sorry. Here, here. Um, I'm a little bit lower on this. Um, I'll talk about staff and environment in the in the same light here. I'm less high on that portion on that part of this brewery. I'm going to try not to be too critical, but at the same time, I'm not real high on this. Um, this place has a classic hipster craft brew brewery vibe. Sure. Um, it's it, it's less friendly than it is just you know here we are, and and 
I know that comes off a little bit harsh, and I don't completely mean it to be, but... When no, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, when I compare this to service brewing, which I thought was a very, very warm environment and a place I wanted to spend time at and enjoy the product, I didn't have this feeling at against against the grain quite as much. So I gave staff a three and a half, and environment is three for that for that very reason. Um, the feeling of the of the space that they're in is rustic. They did have tables, but they were they were all old. Um, like good yeah. old or 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 yeah, not right well. I, I'd tended say old. Eh, a little bit of both. Okay. I mean, not stand out nice, but not stand out like ooh. You know, I don't want to sit here either. Somewhere, somewhere right in between there. So, that, that's that's my take on that. Um, I'll go down to viability. Um, despite the staff and environment points that I just uh, that I just gave, I gave the viability of four and a half in line with the beer hmm. quality. Okay, and I feel strongly about this. And and here's and here's where a lot of this uh, this stands. Number one, the beer quality is very high grade. Um, I mentioned that before about the thirty five k, and also th- this is a large part of what it comes down to as well. We live, or I should say, I live here in Chicago, Illinois, which is roughly 250 miles away from Louisville. Against the Grain is fairly well known here in Illinois, 250 miles away. Mm-hmm. That says something. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there's another major city between these two areas. Indianapolis is right smack dab between Chicago and Louisville. So there's a lot of different breweries that are available to people in the Chicagoland and Indiana area. The fact that people here know Against the Grain says a lot the fact that their beers are sought after here as well says even more i believe that that's the ultimate test right now in this market of viability so four and a half i think is very appropriate i would agree with you uh on on those respects outside of the the location itself now what i'm wondering is you know the impression i got when i was at the location itself was the staff and environment was more geared towards the restaurant than it was the beer. The beer felt like a secondary piece to that. Did you get the same impression? I definitely did. Yeah. And so I think that kind of, like when I asked questions about the the beer itself, they didn't know the answers. Um, Yeah. But, you know, you could ask about the brisket and they know all the answers to that. You know, so very, very true. Yeah, I'll, I'll give one good, one other good point to this place, and I, I can't talk about this for all these because not all of them serve food. But the food at Against the Grain is awesome. Oh, it is. I mean, it's I mean, the good. smoke the smoke brisket sandwich is fantastic. If you're there, by all means, give the food a try. It's really good. And that goes back to that kind of balance thing again. Like I think Against the Grain when you're talking about the different products that they have, they've balanced that very well, that the, the, the food is very good and the beer is very good. Yeah. Uh, other examples of kind of brew house restaurants, uh, like, oh, the one down the street from where I used to live, Emmett's, you know, that can't always be said, you know? Yeah, I didn't think of those in the same context, but that's, that's a fair point. I mean, Emmett, Emmett's is catering to, exclusively to their, their restaurant crowd. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, yes. And even then, I think sometimes the beer is better than the food, you know? It, uh, it, I, I 100% agree the beer is better than the food. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I think they would be comfortable with that. 
I think I they think, would be too. I think they take, yeah. I think they take more pride in their beer than they do their food. I feel like they have food available to allow them for the people to stick around longer and order more beer. And that's fine. Yeah. And 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 you say that and I feel like at the restaurant of Against the Grain is kind of the opposite. They have the beer in order to service the food. Like bring people in to have the food. That's kind of how that's, I feel about okay, it. Okay, that that's, might be That's interesting. I did not think about it like that, but that's that's a fair point. Yeah. But, you know, I I agree with your viability perspective even if you especially if you include the restaurant portion of that because they do a really good business there. Oh, and, for sure. And the you know, distribution is good and everything. So they have, you know, I think it's a good uh you know, good I I think I think you're on the money there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Numero dos? Yeah, and actually I found a third one. Um I, I, I just one I want to talk about, but uh, this one is kind of a tale of two breweries. Um, okay. So you have been to I think one of these. I don't think you've been to the other one. Up in Culpeper, um, which is a little town uh, in amongst other little towns where I live, and it's just a kind of northwest of me a little bit. Okay. And there's two breweries up there. They're literally a block apart from each other. And one is called Fargon, and the other is called Beerhound. Okay. And the reason why I kind of put them in the same uh, breath is that the town's not big enough, I think, to support two breweries, especially two craft breweries like this with uh, that purely focus on the beer there's no restaurant in them it's just purely the beer do you know offhand the population of the town i don't no. um but you know if you wouldn't mind look it up i'll i'll keep going here sure what's the, what was the name of the town again Culpeper. oh Culpeper. okay got it yeah so um so there's two like i said there's two breweries in there uh and far gone is uh owned by this guy named steve steve gone and he um, is the sole brewer, owner, proprietor. He has a wait staff, but everything else is run by him. And he has a small, I believe it to be a three-barrel system that he works from with uh, a currently two or three fermenters. So it's a very small setup in there. It, it would almost qualify as, a, I believe, a nano brewery in, in some people's minds. Yeah. And... Uh, but what he has done is he's hyper focused on the uh, stand the the flagship beers that he has. He has them all the time. He does not you know vary from them very often, and he and he's hyper focused on that in order to serve his current market in the area. And he's done well with that. Those those beers are are of good quality and they are um, consistent. But I fear that if he doesn't start to do some variation, do more seasonals and things like that, that he's not that, you know, the beers are going to start to suffer in that because it's not there's not going to be enough variation to keep the people. Mm -hmm. So to answer the question we posed earlier, the population of Culpeper, Virginia is sixteen thousand three hundred and seventy nine. Okay. And I agree with your assessment completely. I do, I, with that kind of population, having two small breweries in that same town is definitely crowded. Right. So then we go over to Beerhound. 
who is, uh, at, you know, right outside of a commuter rail train station. Um, Amtrak and, and Mark, I believe, go right into there. And it's a very popular place for people to load and offload going to D.C. and Baltimore and those kinds of places. So it's mm-hmm. right outside the train station. Okay. So you'd think it would be a good location for them to have a lot of really good business and things. But unfortunately, it's not the case. And I think it comes down to their beers have been homebrew home grade at a larger scale. And that's been the the issue that they've had. I've gone into Beerhound a number of times, and they are not, you know, to where I think you know they should be for a professional brewery, and they're just missing that next step that would make them a true professional brewery when it comes to their beers and stuff. Okay. Um, yeah. Not to mention the fact in in recent memory they've had some personnel issues with their brewers and things, and actually Steve oh. over at Fargone has been helping them out and such. So that is a whole thing in the area. Um, but those guys are having trouble with the beer quality and consistency, especially the consistency to uh, to, mm. to to make a go of it there. Uh, when you talk about personnel, uh, Steve and his wait staff over at Fargon, extremely personable, uh, busy, but extremely personable and willing to talk to you about the beers. Steve is there most of the time, and he is willing to, to talk to you about the beers. He's shared um, recipes with the the brew club, and and he's you know he's very uh, open about what he does and and everything. So that's that's very nice. Um, when you talk about beer hound, it's kind of the opposite. Is they're they're kind of very closed off about their process and everything. Uh, their their staff just kind of seems like they don't want to be there, and it's kind of not 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 great from a environment personnel kind of perspective. Um, yeah, so I mean that kind of brings me down to the viability, and this is where things get tricky. Uh, as as you can tell from what I'm talking about here, I don't see beer hounds surviving. And the ironic part is they have some distribution. They have they're in some you know uh, restaurants and, and grocery stores and things like that. But I think they kind of went too big too quickly, and that's the problem that they have. They need to develop their consistency. They need to develop their beers and to be a tap house in that prime location for a little while before they went into the distribution and I feel like mm-hmm. they did that backwards Fargon has the opposite problem they have very limited distribution and a very small setup and I think they have uh, you know some expansion issues I know he's been wanting to expand for quite some time and I really hope he can I think if he can and he can upgrade his equipment, he can upgrade his space a little bit, um, then he's got a really good chance at being viable for some years to come and to engage in more distribution and such. Um, but I think it's really going to take some investment and it's going to take some, uh, um, you know, uh, putting himself out there a little bit to to get that uh, get that done and get that uh, get that expansion set up to where he needs to be. So, that's kind of my take of the Culpepper brew scene, is, you know, it's a little little tenuous at the moment. 
There's a couple of things that come to mind. Number one, I, I like what you're saying about that second guy. About Fargon? Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, he seems, I mean, I, I, I'm seeing a lot of parallels with like the things that you and I are doing. I feel like he's a guy that just, you know, grew above a home brewer, open, you know, believed in what he was doing enough to open up his own place. But as, you know, he's still in the process of graduating to a small business owner from a home brewer. Is that a fair assessment? I don't know if that's a fair assessment. And he's, he's got a very viable, very strong small business. What he's, he's, what he's stuck in is that, you know, kind of financial rut of not that you always have to be growing or you're dying, not that old ridiculous trope, but at the same point, he's, he's at a plateau where he needs to get to the next summit to 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 grow. Does that and make the next well and the and the next summit is financial, you're saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely I th- it's well, financial. Yes. I would I think there's something to be said that that's a significant piece of what it takes to when, when you're making a step from a home brewer to a small business owner. Mhm. Yeah, if it wasn't financial, you and I would have done it years ago. Sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, we I think based on our knowledge for the most part, I think we're equipped mentally in based in knowledge wise to to make the jump mm-hmm. so um yeah i mean that being a vile uh, a piece of it i do think that ha- that plays very significantly into viability because again back to my earlier point i like i, I like the guy just from i've never met him before but i like i like the story that you're that you're describing it's a great um, story and, and it's a great atmosphere and it's a great environment yeah. but I'm sure the community uh, likes him too. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, the yeah. community loves him, and uh, and you know, and he's well frequented by the locals and such. So he's got a good business model there. But I just worry that, especially if he were to have stronger competition, let's say Beerhound were to, to be taken over by a better brewer, a uh, better you know, uh, brewer, and and they started producing better beers, or if they went out and another brewery came in there. And they were a, a markedly better brewery. I think he he would have some issues. Agreed. Agreed. That is an interesting. That's a different. That's an interesting tale between two breweries in mm-hmm. a small area, catering to a relatively small market. Yeah. There in Culpeper, Virginia. There's certainly hundreds, if not thousands, of breweries throughout the country that fit that same description. Yeah, I agree. And and some of them are going to figure out how to get that investment to, to get going. And, and I know, you know, his initial investment was partially, you know, personal, and I assume probably some business loans and things. But uh, yeah. he has a very successful mug club situation going uh, to where if you go into... Um, here, I can actually show it to you. Wait, okay. is this that place that had all those silver mugs uh-huh. hanging on the wall? Oh, yeah. I remember this place. Yeah, yeah. So, here, let me... <laughs> yeah. I think here, I had a stout you. there, if I remember correctly. I think you did, yeah. How do I share yeah. my screen on here? Uh, You know what? Can you text it to me? I'd hate to... Okay. You, you yeah. see that? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, so you see all those uh, mugs lining the roof there. I I remember this well. Yeah, there's more now. I mean, it's, a, I it's, tell you, 
did he, did he upgrade this place recently? This, I mean, that the place looks great. That that and honestly, this picture is nicer than what I remember this place as. You know, um, you know, no. I mean, this is pretty much what it looks like. Wow. Yeah. All right. So well, yeah. good for him. But yeah, so that's it, and he's got a very successful uh, mug club situation going on that has uh, I know been a good in, infusion kind of community engagement kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's just all about that next summit, the next uh, next expansion. Right. Mm-hmm. So on to the on to the next one. Absolutely. All right. So uh, my next one is a small brewery as well. Um, like the, um, like against the grain, they serve food, but that's pretty much where their, um, the comparison stops because it's a whole different, uh, whole different environment and a whole different brewery. I visit a brewery for the first time in the Chicago neighborhood of Pilsen within the last month. And just to paint the picture a little bit, I was in the neighborhood on a weeknight for a concert and I wanted a place where I could have a beer and also have some food and I came across and I visited a place in the neighborhood called Alulu Brewery and Pub. Hang on, hang on one second. Did you say an area called Pilsen? Pilsen like, is the neighborhood. Like like, like the like the beer style? Pilsen? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they purposely stole the name, but yes. <laughs> okay. Pils- right. Pilsen is a neighborhood between. Um, um, if you know where the University of Illinois at Chicago is, yeah. Quote, parentheses my alma mater. Mm. Uh, it's a. It's a. It's only about a mile or two south. Uh, southwest of that neighborhood. Okay. So. But to, kind of between UIC and Chinatown. Oh, okay, I know that picture, area. You know, kind, yeah. of, kind of picture it like that. Anyways, All right, so you said it, the place a, called a Lulu. A Lulu. Anyways, Pilsen is an up and, up and coming area. Um, it's been it's built up pretty noticeably over the last ten plus years. It's it's grown into a pretty nice a pretty nice area. There's there, there's some main uh, main street areas with with businesses and a new concert hall and. Um, more than just one brewery, but this place just happened to have food, so magically I ended up there. So, a Lulu brewery is very, very, very small. They are set up to have a, a uh, bar area which seats maybe a dozen people, that, and that's probably being generous. They have also about six different uh, picnic-style tables um, arranged around a wall, and there's a window that that um, kind of goes in and out from the uh, from a patio area. The place is putting mildly cramped, which is not unusual for many urban environments, especially mm-hmm. in Chicago, where real estate is limited um, and spaces for businesses and for homes is not unusual to be very small. So. Be know that you know before you're going in that you're you know if you're a little claustrophobic you're not going to be real comfortable at this place. Mm. But anyways, um, all the beer that they serve is made there on site. And going through the um, the ratings, I gave the beer quality a four. I had a porter there that was very good, very good. Um, they had a 
I want to say several different other selections. I don't remember offhand just how many tap offerings they had. It was much more. I mean, it was much more than say just four or five. I would venture to say it was probably closer to a dozen. That's in the size. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, staff and environment. The scores suffer for that for the reason of just the place being small and being where it is. Um, it, it was just too small to be comfortable, and you know that that plays in for me. Call that personal taste, but you know. I can't so ignore that. That's the environment, but how was the staff? Were they personable? Uh, staff was okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, fairly fairly friendly, overly friendly. I mean, is it something I something to write? You know, specifically good notes about? Not exactly. So just kind of mid range. Okay. So I gave the staff a three. I gave the environment a two. Hmm. Um, viability is an interesting conversation with this. I have a score marked, but I'm going to kind of talk through this, and I may be changing my own mind as, as I as I say this. Um, this is a brewery a lot like Amit's that we that you described earlier, George, about being there to cater to um, not only the neighborhood but also the restaurant that they have uh, there on site. The brewery, the, the beer at this place was good. The food was kind of little more than sandwiches. Um, Chicago, obviously, is a very populated, very um, uh, crowded city. Excuse me. And the options available to the consumer for craft beer in Chicago is very, very large. True. These types of breweries are too small to be on the radar of, say, in Bev or Miller Coors, an acquisition of a Lulu brewery is just simply not in the cards. So the question becomes, is their presence strong enough in the neighborhood to keep them around? I view this environment as being very difficult for these types of, inv- of, of breweries for many of the same reasons that I described earlier when I talked about service brewing in Savannah. My rating for this, and I... And for the moment, I'm standing by this as a two. Are you, were, you, were you considering going up or keeping yeah, farther down? Yeah, mostly because of number one, uh, the beer quality, and then number two, the neighborhood is doing well right now. And okay. there's and, and there's there's things to be said about both those points, but competition still rules, and the restaurant market is insanely competitive. The rate of business closures for restaurants, I don't know what the percentage is offhand, but it is extremely, extremely high. Yeah. So I, I believe there's just, I believe there's enough factors working against them that the viability is just, it keeps me from giving a, a higher ranking. Yeah, I can see that. I was going to ask the question of, do you think they could turn into, I eventually say that, that, the beer, the brewery part of it will become defunct and they just turn into a sandwich shop, but in that area, they'd have to be a really good sandwich shop, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you think about that from a financial level. Do you sell off all the brewery equipment and Mm -hmm. have enough money to upgrade the restaurant? Is that what you do? I mean... It would be possible. That that brewery equipment's not cheap. I mean, it's... No, I, I know it's not. Yeah. So... Hmm. Yeah. So in that area, I, you know, I could see where your why your viability rating is as low as it is. Yeah. For sure. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a Lulu brewery and pub out of the Pilsen neighborhood here in Chicago. Okay. There you go. All right. So I got one more. All um, right. Yeah. So I, I remembered about this one and I wanted to talk about it because it kind of reminded me of another brewery that we know and love. Okay. Um, it's called, well, the, the one I went to is in Harrisonburg, Virginia, which is a nice area well known for its breweries, wineries, uh, meteries, eat, you know, insert thing, eries, you know, is all there. And, um, <laughs> the, <laughs> eries. <laughs> eries, yeah. Uh, <laughs> The, uh, the, but what this was was called the Friendly Fermenter. And of all the breweries in the, in town there, I chose this one because it is a homebrew shop slash brewery in the, in the area. And it's one of the one, it's one of the only homebrew shops in the area. Uh, so it kinda, I had memories of Brewworks and the yeah. workforce, yeah. you know, brewery. Um, that we used to frequent out in Chicago. Um, I imagine you still do. And uh, when I went, you know, so when I went in there, it was kind of a dual purpose. I wanted to pick up some equipment and ingredients for this weekend, which I'll talk about in a bit here. And, you know, I I was kind of touring the different breweries in the area. One of, uh, so I had their beers, and I will say their beers... They could use a little bit of work. Some of them were really good. Some of them were um, okay. Uh, so I give them probably about a three and a half on their on their beer. I will say that when it was good, it was very good. Like they had a strawberry wheat where they actually didn't use extract, didn't go the easy route. They put real strawberries in, uh, strawberry puree. And they actually did a mug club special small batch where they did... The strawberry puree, and then they put kiwi, so it was a strawberry kiwi wheat beer. And she said, when you're when they she was tapping the strawberry kiwi, you could actually see like little kiwi seeds and things coming oh. through. Like it was, <laughs> was real it sec- ingredients. Was it a secondary addition? Is that where it was? I am, I think so. Yeah, I'm both for the fruit. Them. Okay. Yeah. So, and she showed me their uh, their breweries. I think it was a five barrel with uh, four or five fermenters, so decently sized. Um, and they are, you know, so the beers were uh, good plus. You know, kind of that three and a half in there. They they could use a little work in there. Uh, the personnel. There's only one person there. I was there uh, midday on a Sunday, so, you know, not exactly the busy time. Uh, there was one person there, and she was very uh, personable, not... If you asked her about the beers and things, she she would answer some questions, but wasn't wasn't the brewer, you know, so Got you it. couldn't answer okay. everything. Um, and, uh, you know, the environment, you walk in, the you know, and along the right-hand side, it's just lined with uh, different beer brewing equipment and grains and everything you would expect to find in a in a homebrew shop. Uh, and then there was tables, you know, little like high top tables with mini uh, frisbee golf <laughs> things on the, on the tables. <laughs> so it was just a fun atmosphere. It was small. It was in the basement of a building, and uh, and so. As far as like environment and atmosphere, it was it was 
very welcoming and very personable. So in the basement of a building, there was mm-hmm. a brewery and an ingredient store. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when you... So when you t- take all of that and you kind of turn it into a viability question, I would give them a strong chance at success in the future. Um, the I, I see them kind of taking the same tactic as uh, workforce in their, in their brewery, uh, using the ingredient store as a primary source of income and financial stability and growing the beer market and the brewery aspect of it as they go and kind of taking their time with that and building that up. If they're able to fine-tune their um, brewing and making sure... One of, the, one of the things was we had a coffee stout and I thought they overbalanced the coffee a little bit. There was uh, too much presence of coffee. Easy and to do that. It is. It's super easy to do yeah. that. And that just takes fine-tuning. And... The other thing was the carbonation was low. You know, and a stout, typically the carbonation is lower, but the carbonation was low in this. And that was, so that's just, again, all about fine tuning and growth. And they're only two years old at this point. Actually, they were established sometime in 2017. So they may even be like a year and a half. Did you see their brewery set up? I did. You did? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, like I said, I I think it was a big tanks, big. Okay, five bar- Okay, all right. Yeah, so all I mean, right, so- yeah, good size, you know. But it, again, it, it's going to be one of those things when we're talking about the viability aspect and that summit, you know, of growth. They're going to hit a limit with the space yeah. that they have. And yeah, that could 100%. be a limiting factor. They're eventually going to have to move out of that basement and into a bigger area. And maybe what happens is kind of like what Workforce did is... The new area becomes the brewery, and the old area becomes the homebrew shop, and or stays yeah. the homebrew shop, and they expand that. I don't know, but you know, it gives them some options there. Yeah, yeah. I'm certainly pulling for these for these guys. Your your parallels with workforce seem right on. You know, yeah, because yeah. how how I mean, how long did workforce operate that exact same way? They brewed and had an ingredient store within, you know. 2,000 square feet or I've, I don't know what that what that space was you know their um, their tap room was a stand up bar that you know fit maybe 16 people comfortably and was always busting yeah. at the seams until they until they acquired that new space which I haven't even so, seen yet next time I'm out there we gotta run down there and take a look at that it's, it's super nice super nice yeah. you, you'll you'll be very impressed um yeah, I keep seeing those parallels just r- right throughout your your whole description of this place. And um, as did I. I that, see this that, as that a... leads that leads Sorry. me to be cheering for these guys. Yeah, me too. And and I see these guys as a really young version of Brewworks. And so it you know it's one of those things that if they can keep going, if they can have the the sustainability, they've got mm-hmm. a good model that they can go. Especially considering the other homebrew shop in the area closed down so now they have right now they're seeing an influx of new customers new revenue and and everything like that so yeah what's the name of the place again the friendly fermenter the friendly fermenter (laughs) yes right in the heart of 
well, I think it's the heart of Harrisonburg, uh, Virginia, which is a very nice area just on the other side of the uh, Shenandoah National Park. Did they have packaged beer? Did, well, they had uh, crowlers, and they would fill growlers okay. for right. you. Um, okay, all right. all right. Yeah, they, they definitely had a crowler machine, though. Um, as far as packaged, like prepackaged beer, I don't think they did. Okay. All right. Well, nevertheless, if you if you go in there and if you want to take some home with you, they have the ability to. Yes, absolutely. Obviously, those those crowlers have become a staple at most small breweries throughout the country. And it's funny that, I, that I sent you a picture of one of them. I don't know. I don't think you realized it was from them, but um, yeah. It, 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 the reason I sent Jason a picture is the beer was called Ruin Jason. And oh it was yes! A double IPA. <laughs> yeah, I don't know the story behind that, but it was. It was called Ruin Jason. So, no, you're right. I did not draw that parallel. That yeah. picture was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Very good. I think that caps off our other breweries reviewed. It this does. was great. It was. Yeah. So I, you know, like I said, I was, um, I, I picked up some ingredients and. So it kind of leads into my next question. You know, we have the holiday today. You know, can kind of get some things together, maybe get a starter going. Are you brewing anything this weekend? I am not. You are not. I okay. uh, I'm in a I'm in a position where I have four kegs, all of which are mostly full. Um, and I my my project is for uh, is with the chest freezer that I just acquired. Okay. So before I brew anything new, I uh, I need to build a collar, and I I intend to um, have four taps available to me here in my um, here in my garage. So that's gonna that's gonna take priority before any new brew day. Okay, that's um, fair. What is on the calendar is I do need to have a double IPA uh, brewed and finished by the end of August for a specific event. Okay. Is that another so, JBG competition? No, it's not. Something unrelated. Oh, okay. So just with timing, that is most likely going to be my next brew day. So late late July, maybe at the very latest, the first weekend of, um, of August. So... That's probably what my brewing calendar is going to look like. Yeah. Well, for, what about you? Are you well, brewing this weekend? I yes. am. Oh, you, you've got, yeah, yeah, you've yeah. got that one you talked about earlier. Yeah, I'm redoing the I, the APA that we did. Um, I was not happy with my results, as you guys uh, probably heard on the, the last show that we did. Um, so I'm redoing it, and I'm redoing it with some two-row from a local brewery that they grew on site and sent out to be malted and mm-hmm. I picked up some caramel 10 and uh, carapils to add in there and so I'm kicking up the uh, pretty much everything I'm kicking up the IBUs a little bit I'm kicking up the alcohol ah, percentage okay all right yeah so sh- the recipe is gonna be gonna be told gonna be different as well not totally but it is gonna be a little bit different it's just gonna be a little heavier. okay um, okay yeah, so it's going to be six and a half, seven percent somewhere in there. Oh, and is that is it even within the APA style guidelines? Uh, no, <laughs> but 
Uh, All right, you're being honest about it. Okay, it, I respect uh, that. A 1.5. <laughs> it's not quite a double APA, but a 1.5 APA. I was going to um, say, is Imperial APA? Is that even a thing? I don't, I don't even think know. It is. So, so no, I, you know, I'm not sticking to, to to guidelines on that. I mean, we did that, and I think I understand what about the style that I wanted to bring out. So now I'm kind of riffing on it a little bit. Okay. Um, okay. But yeah, so we're I'm going to do. Um, I'm kicking that up. So, and but the final gravity is still intended to be uh, ten twelve. So it should still be relatively dry. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I'd it, love to it, do a side by side with mine, and and that kind of motivates me to potentially redo mine. But to be honest, I I think on our last show I talked to you about my attempts to save the diacetyl problem mm-hmm. from uh, from mine. Um, the keg is cool once again, so I still have not had the chance to taste it post fix. Oh, that's so right. You I wonder if warmed up the is... keg. You warmed up the keg because... to try to bleed off some of the diacetyl. Well, that and at the same time, my um, my refrigeration broke. Oh, so, right. Yes. Yeah. So now that I have a chest freezer, now I have cold kegs again. Yes. Yeah. Which obviously my ability was limited prior to that. So, Let so me I, ask honestly, that. I'll I'll give you I'll give you a review of that in the next, in the next couple of days because I'm gonna have to taste that and see. Hey, problem solved or you know did that not quite work out? We'll see. Okay. So let me ask you that question. So you hooked up your ink bird to your chest freezer, right? Yes, sir. What do you keep in your uh, temperature at on that? Uh, thirty nine. Thirty nine. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I currently have mine sitting at 34. Okay. All right. Near freezing mm-hmm. times. Okay. All right. And the, the primary reason for that is the top of the keg um, is going to be a few degrees warmer than the bottom with the position of the temperature probe that I have. Um, so okay. I, I'm, I'm probably sitting somewhere 36 in, at, the, at the top of the, uh, the chest freezer. And I just, I didn't want it to be too warm, you know, so I've been playing with that a little bit, and I found for serving temperature in here, um, for the types of beers that I have in there right now, uh, 34 is about the right place to be. That's fun. Yeah. I'll probably be playing around with my temperature a little bit, too. Obviously, there's a, there's a couple different schools of thought as far as serving serving temps for for a kegerator like like we're describing. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm, I'm kind of experiencing this for the first time, so... My first order of business is, of course, complete. I have now a home for my kegs, and at least I can keep them cool. The so. other thing I would suggest, find a good way, because this is one of the things that I, even with two taps, I've been struggling with this sometimes, is remembering which beer is which tap. You, you, know, know? What I int- you know what I intend to do? What's that? I want to bu- buy a whiteboard and, okay. and, and put that on my uh, garage wall. Yeah, the other thing that I was going to recommend is you can get like those sticker whiteboards that you can put right on the right on the um, uh, the uh, ceiling, but um, the top of the uh, you know the the uh, cover. So ah, that's to, the word I'm looking to, for. Right on to, the cover. To, to write directly on the cover. Uh huh. Uh, yeah, that could work too. Yeah, and then you can I, write. I wouldn't like, be against doing that if it, if it erases off cleanly. Yeah, it'd be fine. Yeah, I've been uh, looking at that, and you can also get like chalk. You can do chalkboard in a similar way. So yeah. either way, you know, you can you can do that. But yeah. Cool. Yeah. So. Ready for a trivia question? 
Oh, yeah. Okay. I didn't know if you were yeah, going to have one. Go I, ahead. I do. I do. All right. All right. Uh, no backstory with this. I, I, I was tempted to save this question for Labor Day because it's more specific to labor than it is Independence Day, but here it is. Okay. The question is, how many American jobs does the beer industry support? And I do have four choices. Just okay, ponder good. that for a second. How mm-hmm. many American jobs does the beer industry support? Is it A, 2.7 million? B, 2.2 million? C, 1.5 million? Or D, 3.2 million? Now, let's put this into perspective real quick. Okay. The population of the United States is between 250 and 300 million. So, just based on those four options, you know, we're talking about the millions of of jobs that are created just based on based on beer consumption here in the US, which is an yeah. interesting scope. Whoever thought so, prohibition was a good idea. Um, yeah, yeah th- these numbers kind of tell the tale. Yeah. I'm going to say 2.2. You are correct, sir. Well done. Oh, 2. wow. 2.2 2. million jobs that the beer industry supports. Yeah. So just think about that on on, on this Independence Day. If you're drinking, drinking a cold beer, you're supporting good American jobs. <laughs> so long as and it's not like and uh, what's not to, and, and what's <laughs> and what's not to be and what's not to be happy about that. That's true. So raise a glass on this July fourth. Cheers. Cheers, Dahlia. Okay, one last fact in mm-hmm. line with this uh, this trivia question, and I, the fact here is about your living state of Virginia. Okay. So this is another economic fact, like the like the jobs question that I just asked you. Um, the number of permitted breweries throughout Virginia is two hundred and thirty-eight. Wow, I thought it'd be more. Two hundred thirty-eight permitted breweries in the state of Virginia. These breweries contribute more than. Get ready for this: nine point three five billion dollars annually to Virginia's economy. Wow. Yeah. There's some big ones. There's some yeah, big breweries you, in the area. Well, Stone's got a production facility there. Yeah. Who are the? I mean, what are the other big big players within the state? A I lot mean, of not, them I are mean, Hardywood, excluding Hardywood, which of course we know about. Sure. I mean, there's some other large regional ones like Devil's Backbone and Brothers, and um, I'm not even sure if like cideries are included in that, but like uh, Bold Rock is yeah. a big one that's in the area. Um, but you know, it's it. You know, when you think about it, the um, <coughs> sorry. When it comes to the different regions, uh, Virginia is a distant, but still second in in place in place for uh, when you compare it to uh, California. Like California has the biggest wine and uh, I think beer general liquor industry in the country. Number two, Virginia. And that is, uh, so it's not surprising that that contributes that much to the economy. Yeah. And I think I think wineries are lending a bulk of that, because I, I know we've talked about this in the past. Yeah. The volume of wineries in Virginia is surprisingly high. Ginormous. Yeah. So, hey, I got a question for you. Yeah. So, 
I've been considering this, considering finding a way to do this, and I know I think Hardywood is doing one relatively soon. Have you ever done a vertical? Help me out here. Okay, sorry. Um, it's it was a relatively new term for me too, but um, basically, it's this. It's a brewery has the same beer from different years, and it's usually a bigger oh. beer. And so, like, um, what's the one in Indiana that annoys the crap out of me? Um, oh, um, Three Floyds. Yes, three points. Like you okay. do a vertical of Dark Lord, and you you drink. Oh, okay, okay. You know, okay. year after year after year after year, and usually there's like a dozen of them or something, or however long it's been around. Have you ever done one of them? No, I have not. And yeah. to be honest with you, um, this is an, this is an interesting topic. But here's my take on it. Um, being that I'm operating on a very manual home brewing setup. I would be very doubtful that a beer of mine would survive well 12 months after brewing. Oh, no, I agree. So, I mean, this, no, this is you go to a professional brewery and you do a vertical there. So, like, oh. you would do a vertical of <laughs> Dark Lord or, or, or what have you. You, you mean, know, okay, year over so, year. So, okay, so do you mean to, to taste? Yeah. Side by side. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. So they have like eight or a dozen, okay. you know, okay. from all, dating back to say, you know, 2007 to now. Okay. You know, all one right. from each year. Uh, you know, I think the closest I could come to that um, would be one beer that I make it a point to purchase every year is um, KBS the Kentucky bourbon barrel aged stout from founders. Mm -hmm. Um, I've talked about it on previous shows. It's a fantastic beer. I look forward to it every year. Um, that's about as close as I, as I can come to that. Um, I had to be honest with you. I have a four pack from this year and I've not broken into a single one yet. Huh? Now I've part of that is because I happened to find myself in the early days of the release and I got to try it on tap which was quite a quite a treat. Having KBS on tap is pretty sweet. Sure. Um, but if if your question is specifically, would I have I ever opened up two bottles side by side? You know, like 2018 versus 2017. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, know some... I, I do think I do think KBS is as close as I've come to that. Yeah, I'm gonna. Um take a look around because i know that some breweries uh will do that because they'll they'll reserve some of their uh some of the beer for uh, you know year over year metal monkey has done that i know that for a fact they have so i wonder if metal monkey would ever do a vertical you know so do they plan like special events around this they do or they you know or they bring in insiders like uh um the the other podcasts that we've been trying to coordinate with recently did a vertical and uh, and and sampled. I don't remember how many different ones, but from a brewery in New York. From brewery in New York. Yep. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. Huh. You taught me something new here. I, honestly, I don't think I've ever heard that term before. I I don't think it's you know it's not the most popular you know thing in the world because um, it's kind of hit or miss you know as you can imagine. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Because sometimes beer ages like fine vinegar, you know? 
<laughs> that is a hundred percent true. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I'm, I'm not going to out who the brewery was, but I did recently just have to dump a four pack of purchased beer Oof, just based rough. on that fact. And honestly, like it wasn't even sitting around that long. I mean, mm. three or four months, and it was sour as hell. Oh, that's a bummer. That uh, that should have lasted longer than that. I'll I'll tell you I'll tell you off air okay. off air who it was. All right. So, but um, yeah. It, it but listen it happens yeah it happens oh, for sure. and yeah. you know and in beer you know you know beer sticking around through long periods of time there's certain ones that do it better than others mm-hmm. you know and it's and there's a lot of different factors that play into it so i would agree with that you know, just yeah, yeah just kind of is what it is all right well the good news is we didn't have any breweries that we necessarily said they'll be dead in a week you know no kind of <laughs> down on a few but you know that's uh, i think the industry is strong at the moment it is yeah. I, I think we're still maintaining our our clean lyrics label through through this episode there's been no no four letter words <laughs> <laughs> haven't had a reason to. To, to to your point george yes we didn't we didn't slam any breweries on this on this episode yeah so <laughs> honestly we should do more episodes like this yeah. Like I mean this this felt really good. Um I, I don't know what the what the proper um time lapse between other breweries reviewed should should be. We can talk about this, but I would be totally open to, to making this a semi regular thing. I think it, yeah, as we have ones to talk about, I think we should uh re- resurrect the topic and go through it. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. So All right. Happy July 4th, everyone. Everyone, absolutely, yes. Exactly. So have a beer today uh, and support your uh, support your uh, your good uh, 2.2 million American jobs that, uh, <laughs> that um, uh, the beer industry creates here in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. So as we raise a glass here with the camera, it takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. Cheers. Cheers.